Hello, and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time critics poll week by week and discuss what makes a great film great. I'm Hannah. I'm Brian. And today we're talking about a movie called Meshes of the Afternoon. Mm-hmm. It clocks in at a whopping 15 minutes. Yeah. We talked about doing a watch along. Like we just like watch it and have commentary. Yeah. Like live recording it. But then we thought, let's not do that. Yeah. I just wanted you to know that we considered it. Yeah. So if you would like to see a watch along at some point, hit me up on Twitter and we'll make it happen for you, dear listener. Dear but listener. yeah, this might be our first ever episode. That Brian is not what a pick is his Twitter handle. Brian underscore okay. what a pick. Sorry, I'm not on Twitter. Um, this might be our first ever episode that is longer than the, the movie. movie that we're covering. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's happened yet because our uh, long episodes tend to be long movies. But um, okay, so this is a 1943 independent film. It's originally silent it was set to music later but we saw the silent version um and i'm gonna get into a plot summary and then we'll talk about some initial thoughts on this okay all right all right so a woman enters her house and falls asleep on her chair in her dream she chases a mysterious figure with a mirror for a face Several objects, such as a knife, a key, and a flower, take on additional prominence in the dream. She re-enters the house again and again, and eventually sees multiple versions of herself. A man wakes her up. She follows him upstairs and lays down on a bed. She throws the knife at him, which shatters a mirror. The movie ends with the man entering the house one more time to find the woman dead on the chair. So... Yeah, that that's <laughs> sort of. I mean, it's it's interesting to try to like summarize because there aren't really like plot threads where it's like, okay, that's prominent, that's not prominent. It's just a bunch of images thrown at you. But those mm-hmm. were some of the ones that seemed more prominent to me, I suppose. So yeah, I think that's sort of a summary. And with it, it was also hard to not put any interpretation into that, which Hannah is a stickler for. I cannot include any interpretation in the plot summary because I'm just summarizing what happened in the movie and then we'll talk about the interpretation afterwards. That's true. Which is fair. Am I a stickler? Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. Yeah. I did yell at you earlier for, um, I yell at you. We were doing our plot summary for a different movie and I... Guy okay, shouted out speculation as I, uh, <laughs> yeah. as I edited the <laughs> It was very funny. What's um, <laughs> all right. What did you think of this uh, short little film? Um. Okay, so it's fourteen minute runtime. Yeah, and there are like five different sequences. Mm-hmm. So I did not have enough time to catch my bearings to understand like where are we in time. Like yeah. you try, even though it's silent, you tried to say something to me one time and I was like, hush, hush, I can't concentrate. Like I, yeah. I tried really hard to like get where we were. Um, yeah. and I found it really confusing, mm-hmm. but it wasn't long enough for me to like be able to sit and reflect on it. Yeah. Um, I thought the camera work particularly was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. I can tell, I understand what like, I under 
understand why this is important. Yeah. It kind of has like the uh, the Blade Runner effect. Yeah. Where it was like, okay, you this this was clearly mm-hmm. inspirational to future filmmaking. Yeah, and groundbreaking in some ways, but now, you know, we've yeah. seen other things do similar. Yeah, it I I fell in love with it more during my research than I did during um the actual watching of the movie of it's I think you know devoid of context then it's very confusing you know mm-hmm. and its place on the list is confusing because it ranks quite high I think it's in the teens mm. um but knowing a little bit of the context which we're going to get into helped me like place that this film is important you know I, I you know it's it's the hundred greatest films of all time but I think their importance in film history is also factored into account so it, you know certainly one of the hundred most important movies of all time probably all right so it is Brian monologue time are you ready Hannah Please interrupt me as much as possible because I feel like I'm about to be very boring, but I'm going to give a little bit of context for this film. Hopefully people will find it interesting. I found it interesting as I was researching. So Hollywood is established in 1910, really. Yeah, D.W. Griffith, you know, moves out to California from New York with his little troop of actors and they start making movies out in Hollywood. Uh, by 1935, Hollywood is well established, and you have this system of studios that are known as the Big Five, the Little Three, and then the rest of the studios are known as Poverty Row. Okay, big Five: MGM, yeah. yes, Mer- Metro Goldwyn Mayer, uh, yes. Paramount, yes, um. Warner Brothers? No. Warner Brothers. Warner yes. Brothers. Give me hints. Um, despised news outlet. Oh, yeah, 20th Century Fox. <laughs> they make news. Yeah. And then one that's not around anymore, but you'll probably recognize the name when I say it. You want me to just say it? I mean, I want you to give me hints, but if you just need to say it. Yeah, fine. RKO Pictures. RKO. Um, yeah, RKO is the fifth Never of the of big that. five. Okay. Then the little three are United Artists, Columbia Pictures, which is still around, and Universal Studios, which is still around. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you've got Poverty Row, which is all of these, what what would be, we'd think of as the more like independent. So everything is sort of consolidated. Cameras are expensive at this point. And so you basically need a studio to make a movie. During World War II is really when um you start to get inexpensive portable cameras and people like anyone can make a movie after that point though there's not a lot of independent cinema in the 40s uh Maya Darren is is probably the most prominent director who directed this film um but you do alongside the history of Hollywood you do have this string of like 
New York avant-garde indie filmmaking that's happening, starting with Maya Darren. And then other prominent people are uh, Kenneth Anger, uh, Andy Warhol, who we went to the Warhol Museum and it included some film stuff from that. So that was cool to, to think about as I was doing this it's research. Working, and then a little bit more traditional movies from John Cassavetes, but he's definitely an independent filmmaker and more in the New York string of things than the uh, the Hollywood string of things. So yeah, that's sort of helped me place like where this movie is. And it the the closest thing to it on the list, it reminded me a little bit of Jean Dielman, where it's being made at a very low budget outside of the studio system mm. by someone who's more in the New York art scene and making art for the people in that art scene rather than for the general population or for any commercial prospects, really. And even John Dielman, you know, there you have the festival circuit um, at that point. You have a larger audience for this sort of thing. This is really just like there's this group of avant-garde artists in New York who are just like making making stuff. Avant-gardists, exactly. You think um, they like to work out in their avant-garden? Maybe. Do you yeah. think when they go there's a great uh, when they, when Courtney they go Barnett swimming, they're song. looking for an avant lifeguard? Ah. The great Courtney Barnett song called Avant Gardener. Very good. Do you think yeah. do you think do you think when they when they when they when they they their ship capsizes they call the avant coast guard? There's a great line in that song that's uh the paramedic thinks I'm clever because I play guitar. I think she's clever because she stops people dying. Yeah, I'll do it. It's a great line. It's a great line. Um, yeah. Uh, so Maya Darren, the director of this movie, co-credited with Alexander Hamid. They are married. This is like their honeymoon movie. They're very newly married when they made this movie, like months after. She was they like got 26. Married. Very young. Uh, Darren had like 12 short films. They're almost all in the 40s, some in the early 50s. Sometimes Hamid is also credited as a director. Um, his work on this film seems to primarily be as cinematographer, just, you know, shooting the film, uh, where she sort of wrote and conceived of the film and did more what we typically, you know, associate with directing, even though they're they're both credited. Um, they never worked in Hollywood. They were entirely independent and they never really desired to work in Hollywood. I came across this quote from Darren who said, she says, I make my pictures for what Hollywood spends on lipstick. Yes. <laughs> That's nice. true. The, get in, Maya. You want to guess the budget for this film? $63. Uh, more. then too yeah i don't know if that includes the cost of the camera which i assume they had they they'd done some uh some earlier short films so they they had that already but yeah very uh very cheaply produced film 
um she has some some quotes about hollywood she says hollywood has been a major obstacle to the definition and development of motion pictures as a creative fine art form Mm. so definitely it's like setting themselves in opposition to hollywood at this time which casablanca was made the year before this so and that's like classic old hollywood so that's like the hollywood that she's talking about which is really interesting because i think casablanca is great of course but i i get what she's saying and and what she is trying to accomplish with a movie like this so um yeah darren uh explained that meshes is concerned with the interior experiences of an individual. It does not record an event which could be witnessed by other persons. Rather, it reproduces the way in which the subconscious of an individual will develop, interpret, and elaborate an apparently simple and casual incident into a critical emotional experience Mm. so we're getting another interpretation of dream logic we've gotten that in persona we've gotten that in mulholland drive lots of uh movies concerned with dream logic here okay i love a dream logic yeah one thing i came across fairly early on in my research on this was that Maya Darren doesn't view the objects as symbolic in any way. So there's not intended to be really any symbolism in this movie. That has not stopped people from trying to interpret this movie as very symbolic. See, that's really funny to me when, like, people try to find hidden meanings and then the creators are like, chill out. Like, that's not not a thing. There's nothing here. That's really funny. Okay, so... But we're going to try to assign meeting to them anyway. We're going to try to assign meeting to them anyway. So I thought it'd be really fun to play a game called What Does It Mean? This is our BS Symbolism Interpretations game. Okay. So I've, I've picked out some prominent symbols from this movie, and we are going to give our interpretation okay. of what they mean. Let's do it. All right. You want to do the first one, or should I do the first one? I'm going to do the first one. Okay. So the first symbol we are going to explain to you, dear listener, is a mysterious figure with a mirror face. What does it mean? It means yourself. It means sometimes your greatest enemy is yourself. Because when you look the enemy in the eye, you're going to look in the mirror and see yourself. Oh. Boom. I didn't think of that. Do you know that meme of like the guy doing the mind exploding gesture with fireworks in the background? I really do. That's that's what I'm thinking of mm-hmm. right now. You've you've really enlightened the me. enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, you know what I'm saying? So the next symbol that I'm going to unpack is the key. Uh, the key is clearly phallic. I was gonna say uh, this one's phallic too. <laughs> yeah, the knife is phallic too. Yeah. The key and knife go back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, but there's definitely some Freudian using the key to unlock the, uh, the door. There's also the, uh, uh, the, the endless quest to find what is hidden is symbolized by the key as well. Cool. Cause that's not what I think of when I think of a penis, but <laughs> it's not, it's right there. <laughs> Um, like, well, we'll go ahead and skip over the knife since you just said that. Um, well, I'll say the knife is phallic and that it is, um, a tool for destruction. Mm. And we could talk about how the patriarchy is what dooms mankind. Mm. Because it is. 
Yeah. Um, next, because the flower is obviously a vagina. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that she gives the flower, like the flower is being given mm-hmm. because people are constantly and placed on the floor and as placed well. on the floor, yeah. and because women are constantly being handed about as mm-hmm. if we're nothing. Yes, even though they are a precious flower. Yeah, yeah. well, of course, but no one can once the flower has been touched, it's crushed, right? You can't uncrush <laughs> a goodness, flower. No. Yeah. No, okay. no, we're not going there. She's so mad. So mad. It's fine. Okay. The telephone. So the telephone. The telephone is taken off the hook, and that symbolizes that she doesn't want to talk to anyone. I don't know. Um, I think that like you know, telephones are a way of reaching out. I think that this movie is so much about this level of like self-reflection that the telephone yeah so the telephone being taken off the hook is just her Mm -hmm. withdrawing into Mm -hmm. looking at the mirror face and like looking into herself and what's going on there and then the man puts the telephone back on the hook again the patriarchy because here you are not allowed to be to exist for yourself you must exist for others you must exist for others namely the man all right, what does the beach mean? We see the beach a couple of times. First in that uh, footstep shot where she's stepping across a couple of things. And then when the mirror shatters, a bunch of the mirror fragments fall onto the beach. I think the beach and mainly the ocean are like the void of nothingness. Um, so when the glass breaks and shatters onto the beach and then you see the beach come and sweep it away Mm. showing showing the pointlessness of life and that the days go on and on even Mm. when we cease to exist Uh, see i was going to go in the direction of the beach record represents uh paradise and the eternal longing of the human soul what is this the 400 blow <laughs> i don't know maybe okay kids i really hope that this <laughs> i was thought under- that was funny yeah i really hope that this was understood to be um a a, a joke a joke <laughs> although i'm not I'm, i wasn't joking about the patriarchal comments yes of purity what does it mean that has been our game for today okay i like doing games i, do I games. have fun with the games even if our listeners skip through them i have fun with the games or particularly when we don't really have much to talk about <laughs> <laughs> okay i've got a couple of things that i jotted down okay. as i was watching the contents of the movie itself and wanted to talk about so there are a bunch of things repeated in this, even though it's so short. There's lots of just repetition and the like going up the stairs and the objects changing. And then you get multiple versions of the same person. And what, what, what's going on there? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, as each sequence almost feels like it goes back in time yeah you see that yeah so i think it's kind of like how we replay events in our minds and gain from new perspective but it's Mm -hmm. like you know woman comes in the house goes and lies down Mm -hmm. a woman comes in the house seemingly earlier but then sees herself lying down so it kind of like bounces if it's like forward in time backward in time and I think the repetition just kind of like goes through. I don't know. I lost yeah. 
I don't know. No, that that makes sense. I think. Yeah. <laughs> that um, makes sense. I think. Yeah. The, the what a picture tagline. <laughs> uh the camera work. Okay. Is great in this. The camera work is great. I was pretty. There was one scene in maybe like one of the later sequences where she is walking up the stairs and she's kind mm-hmm. of like bouncing against the walls and yeah. every time she hits the wall the camera turns and every time she hits the wall the camera turns mm-hmm. which begs the question of like is are her actions changing the way we view it or is the camera changing the way that she acts yeah so I thought watching this um, that it was like that one scene in a Inception where the camera is changing the gravity. I didn't like but, Inception. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, reading a little bit about it, the other people seem to have your thought of she is changing the direction of the camera when she's pressing on the wall. Yeah. So it, I think I just saw it wrong. No, it's okay. You can see how you want to see it. I mean, I just think it's very like, I thought that was so interesting. And to do that on like actual film where you can't see how it looks till later, I yeah. think it's fat. It's probably why this movie is only 15 minutes because it's like, you just got to get what you can get. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought the cinematography was really, really creative mm-hmm. and really beautiful and added so much. And it, it, it was so trippy. I mean, there were the parts where she was kind of like, oh gosh, what are the movies where it's like, the gravity changes and all of a sudden you're on the wall and all of a sudden you're on the yeah. ceiling and the whole room turns. I mean, that's Inception. Uh, well, yeah, but God, that's why I had to use that, that <laughs> mocking choice. But like, this kind of felt like it did that. Like there's yeah. a part where she's at the top of the stairs and she's like twisting and turning. It's almost like she's adhered to the wall as she yeah, turns. Yeah, the like twisting stuff. Yeah, that was really interesting. I think the camera just added so much there mm-hmm. it was really fascinating lots of close-ups too mm-hmm. and close-ups of objects and somehow she does a thing or i guess he does a thing because he's shooting uh most of it but she probably she, directed him yeah she uh was big on storyboarding mm. um so yeah a lot of the concepts and and angles i would think would uh would be hers but yeah she um it's it's always interesting to me when like close-ups like that are used or odd camera angles but you can still clearly see what's going on and that's a little difficult in this where you don't have like a clear narrative structure or a clear like here's what's happening but I, I thought it was the angles were interesting but not distracting in a way that I like couldn't tell what I was I was seeing what I was supposed to see mm-hmm. but the uh there it was creatively used yeah yeah absolutely yeah it was good I think so this is art for its own sake mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't have any commercial prospects. It's not for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have not, you know, e- movies, it's a lot harder to do this sort of thing because movies cost a lot of money to make. And mm-hmm. so by nature, 
you sort of have to have a commercial purpose unless you're going to make something like this that's just super, super low budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I respond to this in other art forms as well. You know, they're, um, you know, music particularly, um, I'm a little bit more well-versed on from, uh, got an undergraduate minor in uh, <laughs> he music. Oh, he's amazing. From, <laughs> from a prominent music institution. It's That's fine. true. Well, it, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, One of the hard. most prominent commercial music uh, universities gotcha. rather than classical. That's yeah. fair. That's yes. fair. So conservatory. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I, I like that that's represented on this list mm-hmm. that we can have things that did never have any commercial prospects and still we can call those great. I mean, one could argue that this podcast is art for the enjoyment of the We have no commercial it. prospects. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I mean, we're not, you know, we talked a bit of like, should we like, you know, make an Instagram account and market mm-hmm. it. And then we're just like, I don't really care about that. I mean, mm-hmm. we have some consistent listeners. We, mm-hmm. we've, got, we've got some Spotify followers. Yeah. But really the point of this is just like, I'd say it's 90% for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, And we hope that like, it's fun for other people and we try to make it fun for y'all. But really... And we'll, we're up for suggestions on ways to make it more fun if you are one of our loyal listeners. But also, like, I think sometimes just putting thought in, and mm-hmm. I, I, I would say podcasting is a form of art. I mean, yeah, if you're putting your emotions and your experiences out into the world, that can be art, right? And so I think there's a lot of beauty in spaces that allow for that. Um, without being kind of slave to the money it can bring in. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand also that it, it's a privilege to be able to do that, to to have the time and the resources to create art, simply to create art um, is, you know, it's a privilege. We have the time, we have the babysitters, we have... Yeah, you have the expertise of editing. I I come with my witty comments. Yes, which Your I have, witticisms. My witticism. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that the the world. I hope the world is made better by the general idea of people creating art to just to make art. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then it's also neat how this then has I mean you can see how like things like persona for instance were influenced by something like this Mm -hmm. and so it feed back into some of the more commercial and pushes the boundaries of what a film could be in an interesting way I think has had ripple effects I mean I think like uh mirror shards on a washed away by the ocean yeah if you will nice like Stands through the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. You don't get that's a soap opera reference. Um, I get that reference. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to doubt your soap opera. Anyway, I think something else about this movie. My, this is my last comment, probably. Um, yeah. Is that it? Um, it's it's highly regarded as like feminist film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. And we'll just kind of, it was written and directed by a woman. Like, yes, her husband was a part of it. Um, 
because she needed a camera person starring a woman. She's wearing pants. Um, <laughs> you see her bare feet. I mean, mm-hmm. both her feet and sandals. Um, it does not portray a woman as an accessory to men. It does not portray her as demure or um, with a childlike innocence. Mm-hmm. There's a part that I saw heavily implied some sort of like self-pleasure as she's she's running her hands across her body oh yeah um i i think that there's a lot about this movie that um this woman but but you know you can either in in hollywood you're either like a femme fatale or you're an ingenue and she's not of those things Mm -hmm. um i think this movie invites you to ask questions about her experience which you don't see in a lot of films like it's not mm-hmm. you know a woman's experience unless it's around marriage isn't to no no yeah. attention's paid to it so um this movie is, is yeah. regarded as one of like the earliest feminist films which we yeah. love go women yes absolutely um we talked about most of the cool shots like that i wanted to talk about the moving up the hallway we talked about the mirror shattering and landing on the beach we talked about the footsteps thing was interesting and almost reminiscent of uh sherlock jr um so the footsteps um you start you see her start to walk and then you get a bunch of cuts of her walking and just her feet across different landscapes whether Mm -hmm. it's grass or the beach or or whatever and it's like a contiguous sort of thing, but it's very surreal. And that reminded me of of Sherlock Jr. when he first goes into the dream sequence and the background is changing behind him mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing of like the... the And it, it's fun in early films when you get things like that of just like the using the medium of film to create something surreal that you couldn't do in real life, I think is neat. Yeah, for sure. What a picture. What a picture. Ready for our 2001 A Space Odyssey Pact? Am I ever. All right. This movie, 2001 A Space Odyssey, was originally inspired by Arthur C. Clarke's The Sentinel, which was a... uh, a short story about humans finding an alien object on the moon, which also, of course, happens in 2001 Space Odyssey. And Arthur C. Clarke also penned the script, of course, for 2001 Space Odyssey, along with Kubrick, and then wrote a novel to be released at the same time nice. as 2001 Space Odyssey. So, yeah, that was sort of the impetus for this whole thing, was this little short story. Love yeah. a little short story. Mm-hmm. All right, next week. Blue Velvet. Nice. We're going to watch Blue Velvet. Yeah. Uh, I know we've already watched uh, the last Mulholland Drive, Mulholland yeah. Drive pretty recently, but... Uh, we're getting our lynch in early. We're getting in our lynch front, in. Yeah. Our local independent theater is doing a lynch fest this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to see it in theaters. But if you guys don't live where we live, you can go see it on Max or rent it from Amazon. Yes. Those are the places. Those are the places. Yes. Or check out... Just general plug for your local indie theater. Yeah. It's a, ours is like $10 tickets. They've got one. Yeah. One screen. One screen. And Mm -hmm. they do, they've, they've been doing a lot of sight and sound movies. They haven't been like advertising. Like this movie is on the sight and sound list. 
but they keep doing them but it's always like i find out mm -hmm. like days before and it's like one showing at a time that's not super convenient right so and it's just fine it's, it's fine we love that for them but local theaters and local libraries those are our general plugs yeah general plug, general plug. we love them we end up right. with you guys and we'll see you next week for blue velvet bye Woo